Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome back to the Grief Gang podcast with me, your host, Amber Jeffrey. The message behind the Grief Gang is to normalize the topic of conversation that is grief. People living with grief can often feel ashamed, isolated, and alone. This podcast was created to break those taboos after I myself experienced all of those feelings after the loss of my mum in 2016. I decided enough was enough and we need to talk about this. You'll hear on this podcast an array of stories and experiences, some being my own and some being fantastic guest episodes and their incredible stories. You'll laugh, you'll cry, but I hope above all, I hope you'll learn. I hope you'll learn that you are not alone in your grief journey, that you have a voice and it should be heard, that you and your grief matter. So without further ado, I'll let you enjoy the episode. Happy listening. Hello, hello, grief gang, and welcome back to another episode with me, your host, Amber Jeffrey. This week is now, it's a guest episode, so I know last week or the week before it was just me waffling on, but you've now got another fantastic guest, which I'm so, so happy that we have got this in the diary. I finally pulled my finger out and got it sorted, (laughs) and we are finally here. This guest has been someone that I actually do personally admire for the work that um, she does in the community and just how much she gives to the community. And we also work very closely together in um, a project called TGSS, the Grief Safe Space, which you should all know about already. Um, And yeah, I think she's fantastic. And I've wanted her to be a guest for so long. And talk all about her so without further ado I would like to introduce Shuma the creator and founder behind Spoken Grief wow what an intro thank you so many nice things um wow I wasn't gonna be mean was I no I was just like oh she personally admires me wow yeah absolutely absolutely and we'll definitely 
what you have done with spoken grief, which we will we'll go into, we'll go through the whole the whole timeline of how it came to be. But honestly, what you do with spoken grief and how much you give to it and give to the community, it's phenomenal. I'm just like this woman. This girl's like Wonder Woman. Like she's like Wonder <laughs> I wake up and you've got like a new guide. You've got a new like just helpful post, or you're just doing so much. And I'm like, oh my god, like. <laughs> I'm just sat in bed looking like a toe. <laughs> I just try to do whatever I can. Like in every moment, oh, not every moment, sorry. Every day I feel something different. And then I just try to kind of link that into whatever I post. But honestly, mm. like I remember the grief gang um, was one of the pages. Your page was one of the first that really said, you know, good luck with this journey. So yeah, it's pages like yours that really like helped me where I am today thank thank you you. no thank you thank you it's always lovely like I think that's one thing as well kind of forget like people do watch what well we think we both can say people do we forget that people watch what we do and um are like taking on board on, on what we're doing and like it can have a profound effect um for all the right reasons um and I I love it I love when I see new pages and support groups or anything popping out the ground it just like makes my heart sing and then if someone says to me like you kind of pushed me to do it I'm like are you joking me like me like what are you talking about like I just chat shit every day (laughs) but yeah fantastic we'll get on some more onto that but first off Shuma could you tell the listeners um a little bit about yourself, how old you are, where you're from, what you do for a living. Just paint a good picture for the listeners of you. Okay, right. So my name is Shuma. I'm 28 years old. I'm a secondary school teacher, which is absolutely <laughs> fabulous. Um, <laughs> sarcasm. Um, <laughs> and what else did you ask? Where am I from? So um, I'm originally from Bedfordshire, but I've been in London for the past what, six, seven years. And now I've moved over to Cambridgeshire. So Cambridgeshire yeah. is where I'm from. <laughs> yeah, now. And how, how's that been? How has the move been? It's been interesting. I think right. um, it's a, another milestone without my dearest mum. So mm-hmm. from from the outside, it might look like, oh, she's done really well. She's got a house, but I really did yeah. struggle with it. And I'm sure we'll probably, you know, talk about that a bit later. But yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah it's been tough, but I'm happy. Yeah. That, you know, I've got my own place and all that stuff as well. Yeah. There's bittersweet moments, isn't it? It's, uh, of course, fantastic to, you know, be a homeowner in these milestones, but that forever tug on our heart of, oh, who's missing from this yeah. picture, from this that's, scenario. That's our grief journey. It's always yeah. bittersweet, isn't it? Yeah, I think just our life is now just bittersweet. <laughs> yeah, oh, Exactly. Um, so you touched on it, but um, can you tell the listeners who it is we are here today to remember and talk about? And if you don't mind going into your story. Today we'll be talking about my mum. She passed away when she was 55 years old, um, having had cancer, uh, originally breast cancer, and then it was a mixture of brain and stomach cancer after 
you know, she came back out on yeah. a mission. Um, her name is Gulnahar Begum. I think it's the first time I've actually shared her name in yeah. the grief world. So okay, I'm yeah, that's... lucky. <laughs> thank you. No, the honour is what I was, I was about to ask. Like, would you feel comfortable yeah sharing what mum's name is? And thank you for that. Yeah. It's um. It's yeah, obviously for us, they are like um known as yeah, like mum, brother, dad, whoever, like and then it's thing of oh, like I haven't actually said like their name, like their their proper real name. Yeah. Um and it is always I, I personally find it really loving people say, Oh, what is to be honest, no one ever really asked me what my mum's name is because I'm always bloody saying it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like, Sue Valentine, Sue Valentine, yes, that's her, it's her. Um but yeah, it is. It's um I find it to be quite like a liberating thing when I I do get given the chance to say her name. But thank you, thank you for sharing that with me. Um, so how how long was mum was mum ill for? If you don't mind me asking, she had a, quite a bit of a journey. So she mm. was first diagnosed in two thousand and thirteen. Um, I was in my final year of university, and mm. they kind of the family kept it away from my brother and I because he was doing his A-levels. So we found out once we'd done our final exams that summer. And she was in remission for a year after that. So she was all good 2014 to 15. But then she felt unwell early 2015. And then she was like re-diagnosed after the GP and doctors and everyone got it wrong. They thought she had an earache and then it turned out to be like just multiple um what's it called what's it diagnosis not diagnosis what's that word I always forget all these technical medical <laughs> terms yeah I know, found yeah so many um not, not nodes one second I had yes, no forget it it's gone but they no, found yes. like multiple found like two not tumors but something smaller than that you can okay definitely cut all this shit out but yeah um, in the brain <laughs> Yeah, um, brain and around the stomach, they just found yeah more riddles, yeah, and shit like that. But yeah, it was tough. Um, yeah. So then, so then after that, so yeah. when did it? So after she went back to the doctor and they found obviously yeah, she was like, well, in such for a better word, like riddled with it. Um, how long between then to her actual passing and? So like, do you mind taking us back into those like final like days or weeks and the run up to mum's passing? Yeah, of course. So I think it would be um, a little bit of context here as I was actually working abroad. Um, okay. I was in the Middle East um, when the cancer had come back. And I remember my sister's messaging me and letting me know that mum's not very well. And initially... I was like, okay, what does that mean? And they said, oh, the doctors think it's an earache and some sort of um, ear infection. And then as the weeks progressed, this was around, I'd say, April of 2015. Mm-hmm. I remember just receiving a photo of a mum in hospital. And, like, you can just tell, like, her face just looked so yellow in that photo. I've still got it on my camera roll somewhere. And but it makes me smile a little bit because she's got her both of her thumbs up, even though she's in a hospital oh, bed, she looks like shit. Yeah. yeah. And like you can see she's been crying as well. And I thought, okay, well, obviously not everything is okay, even though my mum's thumbs are up yeah. in this picture. And I was like, what do mm-hmm. you know what's happening? And my sister was like, Yeah, the, the cancer is back. And my heart was just like, what? Because for yeah. good 
in 2013 when you know when she was first diagnosed she'd had she'd been through all of it she'd done chemo radiotherapy she mm-hmm. even had an mastectomy and you know as a family we went through so much crap um yeah. to like really push and we were also hopeful as well because the initial diagnosis the doctor said yes it is progressive but if we get the treatment underway as soon as possible like there's a fair like there's a good chance you'll fight this um, right. so when we had heard that it had come back and elsewhere um in 2015 it was just heartbreaking because yeah it had come back in multiple areas um mm. and I remember when I was abroad like obviously I was in the, in the Middle East as a language barrier because I can't speak Arabic and I'm trying to I couldn't yeah. just you know um I couldn't just get a flight and go across the, you know back to the UK I actually had to yeah. get visa and with the language barrier I'm trying to explain like my mum's got cancer it's really important that I need to go back like I need to go back to life and yeah. it's not as simple as you know them clicking on to something and getting a visa it's a process in itself and I just remember like the hell that I had to go through to get my visa like verified and all already and then I was just thinking I need to go back and I remember asking one of like I've got quite a few siblings so each sibling I can go to for something like if I need to know something blunt I know who to go to if I need something that's somewhat designated roles yeah designated (laughs) roles so someone that's going to sugarcoat something I know I should avoid them if I want like a raw answer so I remember going to um a sibling of mine saying like have they said how bad it is and that sibling just responded and said anything I think it was like three to six months she's got three to six months and I was like okay I need to get the fuck out of here and got on that plane as soon as my visa was um verified and all that stuff and I I think by May she was they'd properly diagnosed re-diagnosed her and said like okay this is you know they talk about end of life care and that's what was really different from the first diagnosis the first diagnosis is pretty much you know she's going to fight this and this one was like well palliative care end of life care you hear all these new terms and it's like yeah so when I got back in um May so she was like I first heard about it late April I got back at the start of May so within a week or so and um yeah I was like one of my mum's sole carers in the house and um, I had my sister who was going to work still my little brother I think uni at the time mm-hmm. um it was dad and I and then I think another sister had come down to stay and my mum's sister as well but initially it was just her and I in the house and mm-hmm. yeah it was just it was it was weird because I couldn't look at her the same, but I tried to be very positive. Yeah. Um, but I could tell that she was getting weak. And it was like little things uh, just didn't feel the same anymore. And like she initially, she was still quite optimistic and she was just like, oh, the doctor said that, you know, I could potentially get another round of chemo. And her mindset was very positive. Um, yeah. And she was like, I'm going to get chemo, the doctor said. like, And they did mention chemo, that's the thing. Like, They did mention chemo, but it just, the way I see it, the NHS, they're not going to want to spend any more money on patients that they know aren't going to survive, right? So I think Right, if their survival rate is... Really crap, in, yeah. yeah. So I think she just heard that and she ran with it. So she's yeah. just like, yeah, I'm going to get my chemo. She's also positive. And we're, I, I suppose we were as well. But I think very early on, um, 
I think it was um, Ramadan had started that year Mm -hmm. and my sister went to the night before like the first day of Ramadan in 2015 my sister was like okay make sure you wake up early and give mum her medication she needs to have it at this time and for me it was really bizarre like I'd been abroad working for a year hadn't really had to look after anyone but myself and then I was like I had so much responsibility Um, and if any of your listeners are Muslim they'll know like getting into the you know the Ramadan spirit you have to like Mm -hmm. stay awake and have your last meal before the sun comes up and pray and all this stuff and I remember the first few days always really tough and I overslept that first morning that um my sister told me you know make sure mum has her medication at this time and I'd gone down maybe like 20-30 minutes later I just saw my mum like sleeping on the sofa and I was like mum have you had your breakfast and get your medication now and she wasn't really responding and I thought you know she looks a bit like she had her feet up on the footstool but she was sitting on the sofa but she looked a bit wonky and I was like mum um Mm -hmm. and then I wasn't really getting a response but I can tell like there was breathing and I just thought what I was so confused confused so so confused and I sent my like a picture of mum to my like the whatsapp group that I have for my sisters and I was like yeah mum's not responding but I, like I don't know what's going on and yeah like, but she's breathing and you don't yeah you don't know what to do yeah it was so confusing and I just thought right if I couldn't see that she was breathing then I definitely think she was sitting there dead right now but yeah then I was just yeah. like I could hear my dad like using the bathroom upstairs and I thought well if dad comes and sees him mum like this he's just gonna lose his shit like a freak yeah I need to figure this situation out right now yeah. and I'm just like oh my god what do I do and I just was like shaking I was like mum wake up mum wake up and it was it was actually really traumatizing now I think uh, about yeah it. it absolutely does especially like especially like knowing that obviously mum is on borrowed time mm. you any any sort of um scene or scenario like that you would think fucking hell is this it is this it yeah like I, I can imagine you, you're feeling like quite restless. Of, of like, course, I'd literally restless. just woken up. I'm not yeah. Really. Back then, I wasn't a morning person, so I was like, "What the <laughs> f? Like, yeah, what am yeah. I doing? Yeah, here? yeah, what am I doing up?" So I just thought, okay, never had to do this. I'm going to call nine 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 and see what they do, and um, see what they have to say. And then they were they were giving me. They were beginning to give me instructions down the phone, right? And then mm-hmm. I hear my dad come downstairs, and I was like this is going to be really bad shit, yeah. yeah literally and he comes and he sees my mom and thinks she's dead she he oh. literally is like in our language is like oh my wife she's oh, gone she's gone and he's like broken down in tears yeah. right next to her and I'm thinking I can't hear what the people on the phone are saying yeah you're trying to concentrate I've now got to think about my dad as well and calm him down otherwise I can't really concentrate and help my mom yeah. and it was just like I was just so confused with what to do. And I just, I did, I was so stressed in that moment. I thought, okay, I've got Sounds another. It, it was Sounds so, it. so, so stressful. I just thought, I need someone to move my dad out of this situation. Otherwise, I can't get mum the help that she needs. Exactly, yeah, um, yeah. I had another sibling that was in the house. And I know that they sleep really late until like really late afternoon. I was like, <laughs> I literally like, get them out. Yeah. I was like, you need to get up now. I was just like, deep sleeper. I was like, get up, get up. So like, on yeah. top of everything, I'm trying to wake up a deep sleeper. And like, 
he was like, my brother was like, what, what's going on? And I was just like, mum's pretty much unconscious. Dad's crying like a baby. I need oh. you to come downstairs now. Literally, you're me. like in the war zone downstairs. <laughs> he's, in, he's in a blissful state. <laughs> and he's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> exactly. Bear in mind, we've all been up till really late because it's like Ramadan as well. So I get responsibilities. We've got cool together. <laughs> <laughs> and he came downstairs and he moved like my dad away and then I was able to like I, I'd got him his help to put her in like the recovery position and right. had to listen for her heartbeat and all of these things that you know from like a listener would think and think oh it's quite standard but actually when you have to listen yeah. for a heartbeat mm. it was something that I'd never thought I had to do and I had yeah. to do it and you know the paramedics came and you know, they, they took her away and they basically said that she'd gone into hypo. So my mum had diabetes and with the new medication that she was on, the the nurses that were part of her um, palliative care, they didn't review the medication that she was on. So she was meant to be on like a lesser dose, otherwise she could have, it would have prevented her going into hypo. Like she'd never, ever been in hypo. She managed her diabetes very, very well. Um, so we'd never, as a family, experienced that um to the extent that she'd knocked out pretty much but we'd gone to the hospital with her and you know that was the first time that you know that year that we'd all had to go back into the hospital and obviously the hospital was the last place that we wanted to be in because we're in and out of the hospital so much in 2013 it was just I can't stand them now but yeah you spent more than enough time there in that year yeah yeah but within a couple of days they've released her but I think that that trip to the hospital and that whole situation was pretty much the beginning of the end for my mum because right. there was just more problems that just came to light. So she, the first, uh, after that, like pretty much a week after, she'd got some sort of, I don't know, like her leg just started swelling up and oh, right. um, something to do with blood clots. So she mm-hmm. literally wasn't able to walk properly. So she was in hospital for the whole of Ramadan. Oh. and we'd be breaking our fasts in Ramadan and taking it in turns to sit with her because obviously they're not going to yeah. allow so we've, I've got six siblings and my dad so all together there's nine of us <laughs> no, <I'm there. laughs> obviously like hospitals won't allow that so we'll just of course that many people it, yeah taking it in shifts to be with her and um my mum was still muttering on about the chemo at this point but the doctors have told us that you know we can't um we can't start chemo with her or even begin to think about chemo unless she's 100% fit and healthy. And right now this infection, this so this whole blood clot infection thing that was on her leg was preventing yeah, her from any sort of treatment. And um, I think, although my mum was still hopeful, when she'd, you know, when she was in hospital for week three and her leg wasn't getting any better, um, I think week two actually all these details because she's been in hospital so many times I was trying to think because yeah. it's another thing that was wrong I, with her as well it's amazing that you like and I was actually we we do not forget hardly anything of these poignant things but obviously given how much your, your mum was in the hospital like your memory is so is so detailed of um of like the weeks and the days and everything like that but that just proves doesn't it how much these things stick with us doesn't mm, it unfortunately they do yeah, yeah. so with that, yeah, week three. Week three or two, two or three, she got discharged and she was at home. 
and where her leg was bandaged up and the nurses were having to like redress her bandage and I think she felt it like okay I'm not able to really do much and I think she was beginning to see that you know part of her was deteriorating and she still wasn't feeling very well and on all this medication and her taste buds still changed and she wasn't really eating properly and I could I can see the shift and I'm thinking you know because I did that really morbid thing of googling like how do you know if someone is yeah. dying because yeah. um, google is my best friend and <laughs> I was keeping eye out for all of these signs I think out of all siblings only I would do something like that but I just needed to know what to look out for and when yeah. she lost her like sense of taste and she thought that things were very bland and when they weren't and she needed the salt constantly get into arguments about yeah. food yeah <laughs> I was like oh god this is one of the signs isn't it, it? Um, yeah, like your in your head like it's another like tick like yeah but that's what that means yeah yeah um I think the last basically running up to four weeks so she passed on July the 27th mm-hmm. um and a month before or not even a month a couple of weeks before so let's just say at the start of July she'd gone back into the yeah. hospital because her stomach had just enlarged and was just full of water and that's to do wow. with the tumor that was um near her stomach um right. and it just causes this retention and all this water to build up inside and she was really uncomfortable um so we had to like basically call 99 again it was that call that we just continued to keep making after like the di- mm-hmm. second diagnosis and they've kept her in, tos- um, in hospital for two weeks that time but my mum was just so fed up like by then she was just like I just want to go home I don't want to be in hospital anymore I just want to go home and have a bath I really want a nice hot relaxing bath I do not yeah. want to be here anymore so we mm-hmm. really pushed for her to be discharged and it was a weekend I remember specifically because um, the junior doctor was doing the rounds on the ward that time that weekend because right. yeah whatever um and he's just like we can't really discharge her unless we've drained out all the water um so he said okay can that be done this weekend he said yeah like if I can complete my rounds I'll definitely come by and drain the water from her stomach and I just I just remember um a conversation on the side like where we were trying to say like look she's in so much pain can we prioritize her um having this straining done as soon as possible and the doctor turned around and said like well my mum wasn't able to hear um this isn't life and death and therefore we can't prioritize this and I remember hearing that and thinking what but she's dying like how can the doctor say this isn't life and death it's not an emergency and obviously this goes back to the whole idea of she's been categorized as a patient that Mm -hmm. has been given a terminal diagnosis now like for them that isn't life they can't save her so they've wiped their their hands of her and it just made me feel like absolute shit like for me I just Obviously, I was, what, 20, what, 22, 23. I just, I couldn't make sense of it. I was like, me, my brother and I were arguing about it. Like, how can you say this isn't life and death? Like, she's, she's, like, dying, though. But obviously, from a medical perspective, we, like, we understand now what they meant. But it was difficult. But 
but in that moment having having the only person or the only you know people that can you know do anything for your mum's health turn around and basically say yeah nah like that you must feel so helpless and yeah, I'd, I'd be exactly the same I'd be infuriated of like you know you're meant to help me you're meant to help us um and you're not gonna do it and then obviously yeah, as you say you know in hindsight you look back and you see obviously now what they meant but yeah in that moment absolutely I'd be furious too yeah um but he did the junior doctor he came round after his rounds and he's like look I've got a bit of time I'll do the drainage um and so they How about I've got a bit of time like it's fucking <laughs> fire like what yeah so he came and he did the drain and just guess how many litres of water was inside her amber <gasps> litres right oh my god yeah I'm gonna go five not quite lower higher just stop double digits no fortunately not mm, eight Nearly there, like seven, seven litres of water that had built up in her stomach. So can you imagine the water had, like, have you ever had lots of water, like too much in one go and your like stomach feels like about about to pop? Yeah. Can you imagine that? Seven litres. (laughs) Yeah, you literally feel like you're about to pop. Yeah. And, oh my God, seven litres. And how long was that? It like did she, would that build up? That so um, it built up over what four days. Blimey! So and she was in so much pain, like, and that's why she was just she just had, was so fed up, like, of being in hospital. So when they did the drain, they were meant to do it like bit by bit. But that junior right. doctor, as we know, was clearly mm. like mum's not priority. He did it all in one go. He drained all Jeez. seven liters in one go, and it left oh. her just completely weak like she she was so so weak she this is when I realized she's not got long to go because after that drain she was like half of who she was prior to it yeah so bad so we got that drain done um and she was discharged the following day and we'd gotten the downstairs um ready and <laughs> we'd got the nursing bed in the living room and this is, right, I yeah. just remember her walking through the house all like happier to be at home she opens the living room door and she sees the nursing bed and she was like oh. cursing it she was just like why is that in the house I've had enough <laughs> of this bed like why why have you guys done it she's like I'm not gonna sleep on that bed watch me and she went over she's so stubborn she's just like she walked over to the sofa she's like I'm gonna sit here get that bed out of my side oh, <laughs> she's, like, she's like I want comfort she's like I want luxury she's like this is not luxury for me <laughs> exactly so she sat on the sofa bed which eventually like is um it's a so um sofa is a sofa bed as well um so for the first night I think she stays there but I remember that day that she'd come back home she's just like I'm just gonna sit here for now and um I'm going to go up for that lovely hot bath later so just make sure it's all ready for me I'm gonna have that lovely hot bath so this is like two weeks before she passed away right? right by the evening when she realized she couldn't get back up again she'd not mentioned that bath um and having that warm bath Mm. And I remember just collecting a few of her belongings from her bedroom that day or that evening. And I just thought, I looked around, I sat in that room and I thought, when's the last time my mum was in this bedroom? 
like yeah. her pillow and her side of the bed untouched. You can just see how my dad's just carelessly just tidied the bed after himself. But yeah, like, when yeah. was the last time she touched these belongings? And it was like probably a good month ago because she hadn't mm-hmm. stayed at home. And yeah. now she hadn't got the ability to walk up the stairs to come to her bedroom or have a lovely bath. Um, so she realised then um, where she, you know, she was op- optimistic about chemo. And then after the whole drainage, she was so much weaker. Mm. She started really, the conversations with her changed. She detached herself from anything to do with this world. Like, right, nothing like, oh, mom, like um, I did this today and blah, blah, blah. And she'd be like, oh okay and just literally turn around the other way yeah. and oh. it was really difficult and I just thought why isn't mum why is she not yeah and for you yeah it might be really hard thinking yeah she, she doesn't want to know or anything like that but mm. and again it's one of another sign like that I've read up on google like they start to show um the, there's barely disinterest yeah disinterest yeah. in the world and I just thought all right like yeah. for me I was in a sense of denial I thought I'm going to do or say something to really engage her in a conversation and yeah. I thought right I've always had really long hair right long mm-hmm. hair that comes up to my like hips literally back then anyway yeah. and um, my mum growing up she'd never allow me to go and get it dyed or cut really funky she really yeah. had control over my hair because yeah, it, was, yeah. it was really long long and beautiful and mm. thought do you know what I'm gonna go and get my hair cut I'm gonna cut it really <gasps> short oh. I'm gonna cut it really short so <laughs> then she's going to have to react she's gonna have to react to this yeah I kid you <laughs> not I literally went and I got my hair chopped just past my shoulders and I came Stop. home yeah I, I had like seven eight inches cut off oh. and I like um donated it to the prince's trust yeah oh beautiful yeah okay but obviously my mum didn't give a shit where I donate she didn't give a shit at all I was like mum look she look at my hair she literally looked and turned back around no and I oh was my like, god oh for me that was like that was it for me that was like no she's yeah you went to great heights to grab her attention <laughs> and did. still I bet you were like, for fuck's sake, I've just chopped all my lovely, beautiful hair off, right? And she's still not. I don't know, like, now I think about it, it's very, like, symbolic. In yeah, a way. I, I, I think so, too. I think that's very symbolic. And I think you know, what I was doing, like, it's not like I wanted it to be a symbol in my life and what was about no. to happen. Now I think about it, it's very symbolic. Yeah, definitely. I've gotten rid of all this hair that might symbolise so much life yeah that I was about to lose and then I oh, yeah, lost of, it of a life. I mean? yeah, yeah. the a life that you've lived and now you are like you're, you're stepping into the unknown which obviously you don't you didn't know would be just around the corner yeah. but yeah I think that is very symbolic yeah I want to fast forward to like a couple of days before she passed anyway yeah. so her mood was very low we had to celebrate Eid with her in the nursing bed and We'd all like one thing I would say, like my mom was a practicing um she practiced our, our religion and she would still pray. Um, but towards the end, I can't recall her praying so much. I might be wrong, but she was okay. she was someone that prayed, 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 and it was one of the things that my dad 
really liked about her before they got married and noticed in their marriage that she'd always be praying like five times a day yeah. or whatever. Um, and she held faith right till the very end, I'd say. So when it came to yeah. like Eid and her sister was there and all our sisters and my nieces and nephews, we prayed together because we couldn't go to the mosque and leave her. We knew that time was very, very short. Of course, very so precious, I, yeah. I just remember just breaking down and praying my Eid prayers and... I just can see in the corner of my eye like my mum's just lying there and in reality that was her last like that was her last Eid and she wasn't yeah. able to join in with the celebration but her yeah. presence was so still so massive in the room. So huge. Yeah, yeah so think, huge, yeah. Yeah, that prayer was very powerful for us, I think, with us knowing that she was about to depart any moment. Um, yeah. so just about um I'd say so mum passed away on a Monday and I think it was a Saturday morning she was in a lot of pain again and mm. we were very confused like how quickly that that water had re like regathered mm. and her stomach was just as big as it was when we got her drained the first time around. the first time yeah um so we knew that she was just in excruciating pain and she we we really built good rapport with the ward that she would constantly go back to. Um, my sister had like the ward telephone number and explained the situation. Like, mum's going to need to have to have another drain. Um, mm-hmm. What's it looking like in terms of availability of beds in the ward? If if we were to bring her in today, can you just be transparent with us? And she turned around yeah. and said unfortunately because it's a weekend, the ward is full. And if you were oh, to call nine nine nine, they would um take her to A&E and keep her in A&E until the bed was available first thing on Monday and we're like oh okay the A&E um the trolleys that they have for the beds they're a little bit Mm -hmm. more uncomfortable my mum was quite she was at five foot so she'd really struggled Mm -hmm. to get onto it and we were thinking practically with that belly of water she should be in so much pain to get on there and then she'd be really uncomfortable so yeah. we, we decided like there's no point doing that and we'd wait till Monday um to get her drained but the nurse was like you can also call like your local hospice and because they have draining facilities available as well okay. blah 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 so we did and they were saying that, like there won't be anyone available to drain until Monday because it's a weekend so we were really stuck because it yeah. was a weekend oh yeah um so I remember, like, because my mum, as I explained, like, she she was tired of hospital, right? Um, mm. But the fact that she was, like, begging us, like, please take me back to hospital. Oh, I need to get this drain. Like, I'm so uncomfortable. Spoke, like, yeah. it was, spoke volumes for us. Like, she would never beg to go back to the hospital. Yeah, and for her to be doing that was, like, oh, my gosh, yeah, she really must be in pain. Exactly. So my mm. sister was, like, reiterating what the nurses said to me and what the hospice had said to me. And I was, like but she's really struggling, what do we do? Um, so my, my sister tried to explain to my mum, like, this... Uh, right, I think my mum and my sister had, had an argument about food because she was arguing about the lack of salt in, like, this spinach <laughs> And my sister was like... She was so frustrated with my mum. She was just like, you're going to have to go and tell mum because I'm just dealing with this part of stuff. And I was like, okay, yeah. fine. So I've got to tell her that we were taking her to hospital on Monday. So I was obviously communicating in um, Bengali. And I was like, mum, basically there's no beds available to Monday. So first thing Monday, we're going to get you there. We're going to get you drained. Mm. oh my god she was effing and blinding at me she she was literally saying um 
in our language and it, in our language it's a bit more intense the way with what she yeah, was saying yeah. like, yeah, she, she said to me and I'll, I'll never forget these words she was just like yeah of course I'll go on Monday but I won't survive I won't survive on Monday just watch oh, she said that to me and I thought I felt I felt horrible I just felt helpless yeah. upset angry about the whole situation I was like how could she I was just like mom you can't be saying that and she was just so peeved like she just didn't want to speak to us she just turned around again and just oh, no. and that was it like she literally just stopped talking to us um, and again she wasn't very engaging in our conversations anyway but she was just in such yeah. a mood about the whole situation yeah and then now she's pissed off like added on top yeah well, yeah added on top and I think come Sunday so one of my sisters was due to get married in September like she'd mm-hmm. had a small ceremony back in May we'd literally planned it within five days so mum could be there to like witness her getting, getting like married yeah and then um, the ceremony itself was um planned for September and mm-hmm. the groom side was still obviously like there's so much money that's already been invested in the ceremony and my mum was like you're still going to go ahead and do it so she still had to get all of her stuff like ready in the background of all of this stuff that she was yeah. working with so on the Sunday a couple of us siblings we went to like Green Street and we had to do like her gold shopping and stuff and one yeah. of our sisters stayed behind with mum and we'd gotten a we'd gotten a call around like one two in the afternoon saying oh the nurses have been around and mum's breathing has um she's struggling to breathe and it's her breathing is slowing down and it's not at the rhythm that it should be and we were thinking oh fuck like we we better get back and obviously London and traffic and we're just stuck in traffic for the longest time Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. By the time we got home, like, you know, her breathing was slower and Mm -hmm. she still refused to take morphine. Like, she was such a soldier. Like, she really didn't take any medication and unless she really needed to. Mm-hmm. I think the nurses came back that evening and given her like five millilitres of morphine, which is absolutely nothing for someone that is in so much pain. In right? that much pain, yeah. Um, and I remember that evening, like, because the nurse had said, like, she, this, you know, you guys should really prepare. I don't know how they would say it in words. I wasn't the person that they spoke to directly. Mm-hmm. Um, we told like family to come and visit no, we didn't tell family we had to inform family of the situation and yeah um within like the islamic i think this islamic culture my 
so much such a hybrid identity but within islam mm-hmm. if someone is unwell it's rewarding for you to go and see them and like just you know say your goodbyes and pay your respects yeah yeah pay your respects exactly so we had it was a very busy house on sunday mm-hmm. um there's a lot of praying and everyone just gathered and just it already felt like a funeral even though she was there but yeah one thing that I did notice is like my mom really wanted privacy with her bed being in the living room and everyone else being around she didn't feel that she'd got that privacy but we yeah. bought this um kind of I don't know folding doors you know like the Japanese oh, like bifolds bifolds that's yeah. it um and we just kind of cornered her off and if yeah if, like immediate family wanted to be with her we could and if anybody wanted to pay their respects and say bye they could um yeah. she was really complaining about the noise so like if the door was shut gently she'd be like oh, oh. slam the door and again this is another <laughs> sign like that when I googled it's like everything is going to seem like 10 times worse in terms of sound and stuff and they get really yeah irritated. they get quite irritable irritable yeah. yeah um and then yeah people were literally coming and going from sunday evening all the way to like monday early hour of monday and my mum had a sister that lived in birmingham and she got she came to see my mum at 3 a.m on monday and the house was oh, quiet then it was just more like immediate family and maybe like one of my brothers uh, one of my aunties from my dad's side and a couple of aunties from my mum's side and their kids all the kids were just like having a massive sleepover upstairs not quite sure what they understood um yeah why they're all here but they yeah. yeah they know they're all together yeah um and I remember like when my auntie from Birmingham came she was you know she was so emotional she was just so relieved that she she'd gotten there in time made it yeah yeah slowly but surely like everyone else was like falling asleep except just the immediate family and Mm. I just remember being by her bedside um for hours like not letting Mm. go so we literally pushed the bed to the like the middle of the living room and my little brother was on her right hand side and I was on her left hand side just reciting like parts of the Quran and like just yeah things that we meant to recite at this kind of moment at this stage yeah Yeah, and um I just remember my at one point I think it was maybe like I don't know like four o'clock or something like my dad and I think she'd asked to speak to my dad and we just left them to it and I was just like trying to see what was going on from the Mm. kitchen and I just saw them hold hands and just communicate in very little and. I don't know what was really said, but I can only imagine my mum was saying, you know, take care of everything and everyone. Yeah. And very shortly after that conversation, like she stopped talking and she was unconscious, but still breathing. So they managed to talk. And yeah, so it was a matter of now, it was a waiting game. Yeah. Um, And I remember it came up to like five o'clock in the morning and I'd, I was so shattered, Amber. Like yeah, I'd been awake for over twenty, like probably twenty-four hours, because mm. in the days before, we're taking in shifts to look after mum overnight, and one person would stay downstairs. So it was just such yeah. a tiring process. Of course. Around five o'clock in the morning, I thought, okay, I'm gonna go and pray, like my morning prayer, and I yeah. left her side, and I just remember, I just remember like 
falling to my hands and knees and just praying like to God and just saying, oh, um, what did I say? I'm just like, you know, if if mom isn't in pain, then God, please keep like, let, allow us longer with her. Yeah. But if yeah. she's in pain and take her away, yeah. I don't want her to be in pain. And I, that was at like 5.30, let's say. And mm. come like six, seven o'clock in the morning, my mum passed away. So yeah. I thought like, wow. wow, yeah. We were literally all sort of like all the immediate family were around her. Bed. Oh god, she ran crying. <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> Don't cry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it was um it was tough. We were all around her yeah. bed and I I was literally um I remember her before she was unconscious saying that she was really, really hot, but her body was starting right. cold and she had like I'd run upstairs and I'd given her like my fluffy socks and everything. Yeah. But she was and then she's her lips were really dry and all these other signs. Um mm. I'd noticed her nostrils had begun to like collapse, so she's not getting okay. enough oxygen. And mm. I said to my sister, like like we're really close now. Like you, okay, yeah, this is in. it. Like, this is it. And like we all just like gather around her bed, and yeah. um, just keeping an eye on her chest, like elevate and not like mm. in and out, yeah. like, inhales and exhales. And it was just creepy the way that the distance between her inhaling and exhaling just became longer and longer. Yeah, and like that moment in itself was quite blurry for me. But I just remember her young, like my uncle her younger brother saying oh she's gone and like close my mum's eyes and my sister screaming on my left saying she's still breathing what the fuck yeah. you doing? Like, oh my god my <laughs> <through her> eyes. <laughs> and was just so dramatic like what the hell is going on here she closed her eyes as if she was dead but she's still breathing so your uncle was just tired. He was just like, <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Like, like, he just keeps like, announcing it as well. Like, she's dead. She's gone. And I was like, what? Oh, no. My yeah. sister was just, like, screaming, like, open her fucking eyes. What are you doing? Oh, and then, gosh. like, yeah, there was a lot of, yeah. Chaos. When she, when she did, like, take her last breath, I don't remember anything. Honestly, I don't. I just remember yeah. sounds. That's all I remember, mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. A lot of wailing, a lot of crying, and then I remember seeing my dad plonk down on the sofa, just mm. crying. But my little brother's response was somewhat like he'd froze; he was in shock. Yeah. Like, we were both holding mum's hands, us, us youngest, like my little brother and I were just yeah. youngest in the family. So he he just sat there next to mum, yeah. holding her hand in shock. And then, like I think we had to wait for the world to actually start it was so early in the morning but I remember moving myself away from mum and it just felt like slow motion like watching everyone react and what they were doing and I just felt a bit clueless I was so a bit of out of body do you you reckon experience right there I walked around went to the kitchen I gave so-and-so a tissue I gave so-and-so this and that and I just remember looking at the kitchen clock thinking okay 7.05 yeah like literally like no one else was with it to take a time of death and yeah. I was like I watched all these shows before I was like okay this is going to be important for some sort of document later right yeah so yeah rock and, and then, it sounds like you went into autopilot like straight away and was like yeah some someone out of all of us needs to be be on like on the ball when like you do the 
practical things and it seems like you just took that role on straight away which like hats off to you babe because yeah not not everybody can do that but I was literally in autopilot for I'd say 10 minutes and I'd gone upstairs and I thought oh I can hear like laughter and giggling what what the hell's going on like you've got one scene downstairs with like my mum's you know, yeah. their body and everyone like warning mm. her. And then upstairs there's like laughter and there's giggling and it's like a whole new world. It's all the kids in that one room. Yeah. They're, they're waking up and they're having jokes. There's a massive sleepover yeah. for them. And um, the innocence of it, isn't it? The innocence so, of of childhood. Definitely. And I don't know if I remember saying anything to any of the kids. Like mm. I just remember sitting in her room and I just messaged a few um, groups, just like groups of yeah. friends, because they were con- like, um, my phone was of pinging course, the yeah. last two days, and I was just like, Mum's passed away, please keep her in your prayers. And then I sat there and I thought, why aren't I, why aren't I crying? Like, mm. anyone else is crying, like, there's something wrong with me, I can't cry. And I just, I couldn't cry. I found mm. that really strange as well. And I know quite a few people have messaged and spoken grief and said the same thing. Yeah. Um, and then I sat on the stairs and I actually, finally was able to like cry and understand what had happened and then like everything was such a bit of it was a whirlwind from there because then I remember going downstairs again there was a white cloth covering my mum the police Mm. were there the GP was there and like I was just so confused like why is the police there yeah why the police there was it the police? Probably paramedics. See, look, I'm still. Oh. <laughs> I'm gonna say the police. Like, a crime hasn't been committed. <laughs> paramedics there, right? And <laughs> I'm just a bit. Actually, do you know what? I'm still like second guessing myself here because I feel like someone had called nine nine nine. But I think when someone right. passes away and you you expect that if you're meant to just call your local GP and like your funeral directors and right, all that, okay. So I think someone had called nine nine nine. Oh, maybe. And that's what yeah. happens when you call nine nine nine. Like the police have to come and understand what's gone on. So I do feel yes. like there were some sort of police presence. Maybe, there, yeah. Um, I'm gonna have to ask my sister. And actually, I don't want to bring it up. Because I thought on a Saturday. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, by the way, you know, my mum passed away with their police there, like so random. <laughs> She's gonna be like, what? Yeah. So we were quite lucky, like, yes, she couldn't have her drainage on a, on a um, weekend, but Monday, the world is running again, it's a working day. The GP, our family GP, got here and was in the house and was able to give her like sign off her death certificate straight away yeah. and I know in hospitals sometimes it's such a delay to get that death certificate oh yeah it can be yeah yeah so we're quite blessed in that sense because islamically you need to bury the body as soon as possible very soon don't you um, yeah yeah but I think it had gone past like midday by the time like seven o'clock to like midday so much had happened and it happened quite quickly in like the funeral world in terms mm-hmm. of organizing things but we'd kind of like weren't able to do the funeral on the same day like we mm-hmm. funerals the next day on the Tuesday um and I just remember after the paperwork had been done I think an uncle of mine and my sister were organizing the like the funeral more so my uncle because you know usually it's sort of like a close friend or family member that you know takes these responsibilities within our culture anyway yeah um, and the body was still there mm. um people the people beginning to come round again and I think it was really frustrating because it's a time where we kind of felt so deflated 
yeah obviously heartbroken and then you've got all these people coming around and I think yeah you just want to rest you just want to not even just rest we just I just want to be there with my mum yeah you well yeah Yeah. if you're burying mum on the Tuesday it's not a lot of time and it's I want to I want to yeah spend these this last couple of hours last day with my mum and sort of like taking in every last like bit of her Exactly. You know what I mean, yeah. And then, like, the coroners had, um, from the funeral parlour, I think that's what it's called, had come around to take her, and they'd come in like this, what what I remember, like, this old-school-looking ambulance. It's, like, really bobbly oh. and rounded, and I don't know if it's because I, like, our family home's in a village. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's like an old-school <laughs> ambulance, and um, they just got out there, like, their trolley, and they were... They brought it into the living room, and I remember so many yeah. like aunties and cousins in the kitchen, and they're all trying to glance and come through the living room. And I just thought, no, right now it's a moment that is very intimate and very private. Yeah. My mum's body's about us. to be put in a black bag, and she's going to be zipped up right now. There's no need for yeah. like I just remember my mum was such a private person as well. Like, there's no need for you to want to see this. Like, you should just yes, be gawping her. at it. Yeah, there were people like wailing and crying and screaming in the background um so yeah I just remember shoving the door on someone's face or foot <laughs> thinking no not right now you better calm yourself down I just remember just shutting that door um, oh, I love it Shima <laughs> um, it was just us immediate family we just yeah we just saw her body being you know put in a black bag yeah. and, and I just remember there just being yeah, I don't feel really comfortable talking about this bit, but the next thing no, I know, I was at the parlour and, the, you know, clean mum up and, you know, yeah. got on her ready a little bit. And I just mm. that was like her. She looked like she was smiling. Um, yeah. But I found it really strange, the whole parlour part. Like, I didn't like being there and being in the same room. I, yeah, no, I didn't like it when um when I had to see mum in the chapel of rest. I it, oh, I hated it. I went once because they were like, you can, you could come as for obviously. I had like a three week wait to mum's burial, mm. so they were like, you can come down to the chapel of rest, you know, as much as you want, and you know, come and see her and whatever. And I went once, and I was like, yeah, no, not for me. It's just not for the me. whole experience is weird. Like, oh. I know some people find comfort in that whole part of the process, but for me, I'm just like, no, it's creepy. I can't do yeah, this. Proper. It just felt so weird. But I think. It was only around two o'clock of the same day that I'd gone. I had no sense of time, but I think yeah, it was around two-ish. And I'd come home and the house was a lot like, again, I felt like I was on this autopilot mode. And I mm-hmm. went upstairs, I walked upstairs, but I just saw like, like the doors and windows were open because it's summer, right? It's July. Yeah, yeah. And like these white sheets that were hanging off the banister were just like like whirling around in the wind and mm. my shoulders brushed past it as I was going up the stairs and I turned around thinking what is that and I could just see like this circle like cut out of the white sheet so this mm. now I can explain is like the preparation for her funeral and the Islamic um, burial process the white right. sheets that she used to be wrapped around in okay. and I just remember thinking what like yeah like this is really happening this is really happening now but I just remember going into my room locking the door and going to sleep 
And I woke mm. up, like people were like knocking on the door, but I hadn't gone to sleep in like over a day. So yeah. I've gotten like a few hours and people were knocking on the door quite worried about me. I'd open the door like you need to eat something you've not eaten and food's not on your mind when something No, happens. it's not at all. So, yeah. I was being like really thankful for those that were trying to feed me and everything. Mm. But as soon as I was up, it was conversations about the funeral and Imagine um, it was go 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 obviously it was it was constant yeah. go 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 um and my one of my older sisters asked you know do you want to help um wash mum's body so islamically there's a wash that needs to take place before the burial yes yeah. and you have um sometimes you have like a group of people in a mosque that's able to do that and they're all trained up and they know how to do it okay but um we again like well, there's four of us girls mum had four mm. daughters and we just thought do we should we should we should do this if we can yeah. Yeah. and the older sisters were like on board and my sister was like you don't need to do it if you don't want to Shema and I was just like in my head I thought you know if I don't do it and I might regret it later but then if I do do it can't do I have the stomach to do it yeah but it was it was a moment that I had to make a very quick decision and I did decide to go ahead and do it Mm. Um, and then in the evening I don't remember what happened Monday evening I honestly don't it's such a blur but come yeah. Tuesday morning we were up we were up and we're like okay we need to get together a few bits and bobs for her wash mm. and I remember all of us sisters went to like a local Tesco's and we're like walking around like okay what do we need like towels fresh towels okay um do we need a sponge to wash her like we didn't know what the hell we were looking for yeah we but like, it's yeah you just get running around and it's strange i can imagine walking around tesco and seeing everyone else doing their normal Normal shopping like i'm buying stuff to you know wash and cleanse my my mum's body that we're going to bury like short hours like exactly so that whole i was there in that little room and obviously we're washing my mum's body but i kind of i was just stood at like at the end of the room I couldn't really participate yeah. and um once that was done like yeah, it's such a strange process like having to physically yeah. lift a body into a coffin right yeah. no words for it whatsoever but then people again lots of people came to the funeral and they're paying their respects um you know and it came to the bit where you know the guy that was leading the prayers he was like you know we need to say it. we need to um people to you know, we need everyone to finish saying their goodbyes because it's time. Mm. And we're just, you know, standing around the coffin, us immediate family, and just crying and crying. And again, yeah. I don't think like I was sobbing, but I, I don't think I was able to physically cry. And mm. I was just conscious of the fact that you know, Islamically, the body needs to be buried as soon as possible. And we are, right now, we're wasting time. I was very like, practical. yeah. So you're. Yeah, so you're although like you said you you're sobbing, um, you're you're still you're you are still in autopilot, aren't you? You're still thinking like we need to we need to yeah carry oh, on. We're, yeah, we're already pushing for time, and she she needs to she yeah. needs to go uh, on to the afterlife. Yeah, exactly. I think I was like the one that kind of twisted the white cloth and right. put her all like you know covered her face because yeah. everyone else was just crying and I felt I felt yeah. till this day I feel a little bit guilty because I cut their time as they were saying their goodbyes I can, yeah I can imagine how you'd feel like that yeah you're thinking but um, I was thinking about the reason behind it I just wanted yeah. the burial to take place as soon as possible 
the laughter yeah. bags. It was what I recall. Like my, I, we didn't actually go to the burial us girls. We'd gone home, and I think there's like contradicting ideas around this where women islamically shouldn't be at the grave but times have changed now and right. you know if you're not hysterical like some women now do go to burials and graveyards um but for mm. us I, I think we had so much going on that morning we found ourselves in the car going home and it was just raining and raining um and rain always is a, it's a blessing in our religion like when it's raining okay. A massive blessing so when yeah. they were doing their prayers in the mosque just before the burial it was raining and later on my little brother said like it was raining throughout the prayers but when we went to bury mum the sun was shining and obviously practically oh. that's a lot easier with the soil and all that stuff yeah. and then when we walked away from the grave it started to rain again so like there's a bit of pathetic fallacy going on and just I feel like the weather really was indicating a lot yeah. of us and it was just full of a lot of blessings with that one yeah. and yeah that's it really oh. we have the typical family coming around and telling you what to do and not giving you all the things <laughs> you want it's part of yeah. within um Bangladeshi community I'd say and I know so many other um communities out there have the same problem but yeah. it's just one of those things and that's that's it really yeah there you have it wow no that was honestly i'm kind of glad we're not on camera because i've cried so many times throughout (laughs) (laughs) just hearing you speak and in those final moments um with mum at bedside and her and your dad and their their words i was like oh my god i'm gonna like be sick of how much i'm gonna cry (laughs) (laughs) but thank you but um so leading on to like my next question for you, just what is your outlook on life now? Going through all of that for the years of mums of mum's cancer and treatments, what is your outlook on life now? Do you feel like you have a positive outlook? Um, what has your grief done or changed your outlook? It's cliche, but life is too <laughs> short. It's too short. Um, I just think. I go through different outlooks. Sometimes it's a bit more positive. I'm like, mm-hmm. cherish everyone and everything around you. And sometimes, like, it's pretty, it's like life shit. Like, why am I here? Yeah. So I, like, really go in between the two modes. Mm-hmm. I'm just really trying to, I talk about this on Spoken Reef a lot, but I just really just try to survive each day as it comes. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, losing mum has taught me that life is so valuable and not to waste it in any sort of way and really cherish everything and everyone around you. So mm-hmm. I would say like day-to-day outlook is taking life what it is and making sure I'm happy with everything that I'm doing. Um, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Just as well, you just touched on it. Spoken grief. Before I ask you the last question, let's speak about spoken grief. So so how long um, after mum's passing did um, spoken grief become an idea? Um, tell us how, tell us about it all, like from the beginning, from when it was an idea to now and like what you do on spoken grief, because I bloody adore it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so first lockdown in March, I feel like, really intensified my grief even though I was almost five years into my grieving journey but because we're in lockdown I just found myself alone with a lot of these thoughts and it must have been the end of March 
but I'd spoken to my husband and my little brother and I was just like, you know, it'd be good to have an outlet. Like, what is there out there for us? Like, I don't, I can't resonate with anything that's out there. Yeah. And I, it became an idea on like a Friday evening and I'd set up first thing on a Monday. It was mm. literally as quick as that. Like, but I do feel with the, gr- the whole grieving journey for the good few years, I really blocked out my grief. And then like, yeah year three and four I kind of reached out for a little bit of counselling and I started to vocalise my thoughts and feelings a little bit whether it's with people or you know with family like just like just amongst my sisters and stuff um Mm -hmm. spoken grief I thought was pushed because of the whole lockdown and just made you like stick with your feelings do you think yeah definitely yeah I didn't like it I thought I know me neither (laughs) I thought I'm gonna go backwards in my grieving journey and everything I achieved is going to crumble because of this lockdown Mm. and I just found I just found that my grief was so intense and hence I just thought okay I need an outlet I've tried you know I journaled and I wrote diaries very early on in my grief although I've blocked yeah. it out physically in my life if that makes any sort of sense like yeah no absolutely yeah and then um I tried a little bit of counseling and you know I've gotten better talking about it with loved ones but I just yeah. thought I need something a different avenue and that's how Spoken Grief was born um and I remember my first post saying you know this is going to be first and foremost an outlet for myself and my grief and mm-hmm. for those of you that can resonate you know join me on this journey um I just didn't if I'm honest, I've never actually gone onto Instagram and looked mm. for grieving accounts. But no, neither I, did I. Yeah, as soon as I opened it, and then I was like, "Whoa, the grief gang, yeah. the grieving daughter, like all of these, yeah, all of these accounts." I'm like, "What?" So I know. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was like. I was like, I kind of sat back and I thought, "Yeah, why did I never actually look up grief accounts to begin with before I even started?" And then, yeah, when I started Grief Gang, and I was like, oh, shit, there's so many people here. (laughs) It was so, yeah, it was so comforting. And I was like, oh, how amazing that they're, I say all the time, it was like opening up the door to, like, Grief Disneyland. Like, it was just like, oh, my God. Um, I love love the Grief community on Instagram. Oh, I'm obsessed. (laughs) I did feel like um, there's no brown people here. Like, I love yeah. everyone, but I just feel like, you know, everything that I've gone through, like, like the morning aspect and just little elements, then yeah. I just feel like I shied away from really putting myself out there. Like, if you've noticed recently, my face mm. is on there a little bit more and I'm coming out, yeah. like, stepping out, like, baby steps for me. But I just feel yeah. like if there's anyone, I don't want, I want there to be a platform where maybe some people can resonate with you know a hijabi brown Indian yeah. person but I know that the grieving community is you know majority yeah, pretty, of course yeah it's predominantly white and it's predominantly like the the main accounts or whoever who dominates it yeah they are predominantly run by white our white counterparts and predominantly our white female counterparts but I love um, the fact that we've got the grieving safe space yeah I think exactly. that's yeah so happy that you started that and I know all of us all of us that's why like I think we we can go so far with it and do so much with it and promote there because because 
when when I started it, I was like, it's not as if you know, like the black and brown accounts aren't there. They are mm. there. I was like, I've met I've now e e met, so to speak, like hundreds of of accounts, and it's like, but why why am I'm having to do like the digging for them? That shouldn't be the case. They should be Absolutely. upfront. They should be upfront, and the world, and you know, they should be getting as much exposure for their fantastic work in the grief community as said cat white counterparts. Mm. Um, and yeah, that was where TGSS was born. And like us six, we I, I couldn't do any of it without you all. You're all bloody amazing, and what a good team. Like, we do. We have a fantastic team, and spoken grief just. I love it. Just you, you, like I said in the beginning of this, you give so, so much of yourself to the community and providing spaces for people like your scrapbook edition. Like I love your scrapbook edition um, of getting people to share their photos, everything like that. I think it's stunning. Um, so yeah, thank you for spoken grief. Um, and right, I will get on to my last question for you. Okay. So if you could tell your past self one bit of truthful and helpful advice for the journey you're about to endure, what would it be? So if you could go back into the room of, of pre-bereaved Schumer when mum mm. has just passed, what would you tell her? Mm, so many things, but I would say uh, one thing, but this is hard. Um, mm. Hmm. Don't be too hard on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. because I had never lost someone so close to me, I didn't know the ins and outs and what to expect. And I feel with a lot yeah. of things that I was feeling early on, I was really like hard on myself for not knowing. And it's not yeah. fair. It wasn't fair on my younger self. Yeah, there's no um, manual for it, is there? No, but yeah, definitely just go easy on yourself and just take every day and allow that day to be what it is and yes yeah, yeah, amazing oh. amazing Shima well that's me all questioned out <laughs> um thank you this has been absolutely lovely like oh I love it we've got a good hour that's fantastic <laughs> Listen, I hope you enjoy this um I will put all the relevant tags for Schumer's account, um, both on the podcast information and on my Instagram as well. And please do check her stuff out and get involved. Um, Schumer is so like interactive with her audience and and loves for you to all partake. So please do. You won't you won't regret it. Um, any last words, Schumer? If we want to go, any, anything that's coming up for you that you want to plug or anything. Firstly, just thank you so much for allowing me to be part of your show and your podcast. Um, I really, really appreciate it. You really are a very significant voice when it comes to the grief community, and I love everything that you do. Oh, let me cry I'm very emotional <laughs> and you're also just such a lovely human being as well like we met very briefly in that comedy show um, yeah. that we went to just before yes uh, after lockdown and you're just such a lovely person like I appreciate oh, you not when I've had a drink though I'm a bit of a bitch no. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that you're so transparent honestly um, <laughs> But yeah, thank you every, for everything you said about spoken grief. Honestly, it's a little baby of mine. Um, 
what I would say is that I'm hoping to have longer conversations on YouTube. So I've started like a YouTube account um, because I think we're just so limited on Instagram. that we can give you like 15 oh, minutes and I can't yeah. remember what things in 15 minutes when my conversation yeah. is like an hour. So exactly. Like, if any of your followers um, or subscribers um, are into this whole long conversation, I will be on YouTube with my lovely face and my guests. Amazing. So, yeah. Wicked, lovely. Yep, I will keep the audience um, updated on that. You know, I will. I love to plug your stuff. Thanks, well, grief gang, that is it. Um, if you have enjoyed this episode, please also do remember to like, subscribe, share, rate, review, all that malarkey. And yeah, that is us. I've been your host, Amber Jeffrey, interviewing Shuma from Spoken Grief. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Grief Gang, what a lovely episode that was. What a lovely episode that was with the darling Schumer. Just love her. Love her. Could talk for hours on end, which we kind of have really. You've got a good hour and 10 minutes of me and her chatting away. But this is now the part of the episode where I read out some submissions that some of you have sent in. So this week I have two to read out. The first one being from a young lady, a young lady who has now become a very good friend of mine. And her name is Rosie Shumovsky, which I have pronounced right, I believe so, after the amount of times I've heard her correct people. So I think I have it on lock. (laughs) So here goes. My name is Rosie Shumovsky. I'm 26 years old and I live in London. I'm a manager for a preschool. I lost my mum, Sue, in March 2018. She died from cancer. Mum had a breast cancer diagnosis on the 9th of December 2016. I'll never forget that date. She went through chemo and radiotherapy treatments and by July 2017, she seemed to really be on the mend, getting stronger and overcoming her cancer journey. However, in November 2017, she had been suffering with really bad back pain. The pain was because her cancer had metastasized through her spine and caused 17 fractures. Mum got her terminal diagnosis on the 3rd of November 2017 and she died on the 3rd of March 2018. I miss her every moment. I don't know if I have advice for my pre-bereaved self, but I do have some words of experience, I guess. If I were able to speak to myself the day that I learned of my mum's diagnosis, I'd tell myself how fucking difficult watching somebody die is going to be. I'd tell them that it would be confusing, scary and frustrating. I'd tell myself you would experience emotions you won't understand and you won't fully know how to express. You will be unsure and scared about everything. It is traumatising and you will relive it in the most unexpected of places. Grief is going to be a roller coaster whirlwind of experiences and emotions. It will never go away and it will always feel rubbish. But in time, you'll find the right ways to express yourself and you'll find the right people to do that with. You do not need to listen to the people who say that you're so strong. Fucking give yourself permission to be sad because what has happened to you is bloody sad. Hang in there, babes. It's not going to be easy, but I promise you'll have the ability to get through it. Mate golden golden from rosie i knew it'd be fucking ace she is ace love you rosie thank you for that and my next submission is from a young lady called grace here we go so i lost my uncle in 2014 i hate saying that because it's quite a few years ago but it feels like yesterday 
When I say I lost my uncle, many people pacify it. However, he was like our brother. There was only a 15-year age gap between us, so he was like our protective older brother. He came round to our house practically every day. He was so supportive and we just laughed when he was around. He was 25 when he died. He had an asthma attack and his lungs failed on him. He also hit his head, which caused him to have a bleed to the brain. I was only 10 at the time, so I think I sugarcoated it myself at that age. I didn't fully process it, like I never forget when my parents told me and my sisters that he was most likely going to die. My sisters were crying, but I wasn't. But I think I'm only just starting to come to terms with it seven years later. He was in a coma ten days before they turned the life support machine off. In that time, my family all went to see him. My mum was in a really bad state because it was her brother and they were really close. I remember my parents asking if we wanted to go and see him and say goodbye. All my sisters said yes, but I decided not to. I regret that so much now and I think that has a part to play why I haven't come to terms with it. Me and my uncle used to talk about football all the time. We had bets and everything. I remember thinking most children are doing their homework right now. I'm writing my speech to read out at his funeral. Years on, he visits me in my dreams from time to time. Most of them, I know he's dead, but he tells me not to tell anyone like around in my dream and then we just chat. At the time, it's so nice, but I remember the last time this happened, I woke up crying because it wasn't real. I find it difficult to talk about him because my friends now didn't know who he was and I'm there. And in their head, it's been seven years. Why can't I just get over it? They've never said that, but that's what they think. It's difficult trying to explain to someone who hasn't gone through grief. I'm struggling more and more as time goes on. I don't think I need to see a counsellor, but I don't know. I don't want to sit on it anymore. Thank you for letting me speak. Thanks, Grace. Thank you, Grace, for sending that in and being so open and honest and vulnerable with your story. And that is it, guys, for the submissions as well. Please do, if you feel you would like to have um, your story shared at the end of one of my episodes or if you just want to offload, um, please do send me a submission via my email address, which is amber dot jeffrey j-e-double-f-r-e-y at thegriefgang.com well that's it for this week's episode i hope you all enjoyed it and it set your week off to a great start whether you've laughed a little cried a little i mean i think crying is good for the soul or you've resonated with something that was said thank you for listening and spending time out of your day to do so if you like what you hear please do rate review and subscribe In doing so, you're ensuring that lots more people get to find the Grief Gang podcast and hopefully help them too. If you're not already, check out the Grief Gang on social media platforms such as Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. I'm most active on the Instagram page where I love, love, love to connect with you all. For now, take care and big, big love. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 